The People's Constitution, the path to empowerment of Australians in a 21st century democracy by Bronwyn Kelly. Read by Bronwyn Kelly. Chapter 6, Essential Number 2, Enshrinement of Human Rights and Obligations in an Australian People's Constitution. Part 1. Australia is the only democratic country in the world without a National Charter of Human Rights. This is an astounding lapse in lawmaking for a country claiming to be democratic. It is doubly astounding given that Australia was in fact one of only eight nations involved in drafting the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948, a declaration that stands to this day as the basis for a range of international covenants, treaties, that Australia has freely signed and which have even been ratified by our parliaments. These treaties include seven core international covenants and conventions. One, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Two, the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights. Three, the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. Four, the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. Five, the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman or Degrading Treatment or Punishment. Six, the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And seven, the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Various other treaties and optional protocols have also been adopted, although reservations apply in several cases. For example, Australia has ratified one of the most important human rights treaties, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, but has nevertheless reserved, that means withheld its commitment, to some elements of that treaty, including Articles 10, 14 and 20, which require the segregation of children from adults in prison and accused detainees from convicted detainees, compensation for miscarriages of justice and the prohibition of both war propaganda and advocacy of national, racial or religious hatred. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which overarches all these treaties and is considered by Australian governments in official policy to have, quote, great moral authority, unquote, is not binding in law. However, the treaties made under the Declaration do constitute international law as far as human rights are concerned, and in acceding to them, with or without reservations, a state that is a party to any of these treaties is, at least in principle, signalling that it is consenting in good faith to be bound by those laws. States' parties have different arrangements for signing, ratifying or acceding to these treaties, and they have different arrangements for giving effect to them in domestic law. For some, a signature known as a definitive signature is sufficient to signal that the treaty is binding under their domestic law. For others, like Australia, ratification may be required. It all depends on their constitutional and other legal arrangements. Even so, where ratification may be the preferred procedure for signalling a state's party's consent to be bound by the treaty, this does not mean that a ratified treaty automatically applies as domestic law. Again, it depends on each country's constitutional and legal arrangements. 
Certainly, in Australia's case, because of our current constitutional arrangements, ratification does not mean that the international laws set down in these treaties apply as domestic law. On a few occasions, such as with the passage of the Racial Discrimination Act 1975 and the Sex Discrimination Act 1984, Australia has codified some aspects of the international treaties on human rights into domestic law. But in the main, it has displayed only a sporadic willingness to extend human rights to Australians in our laws and to be held accountable for abuses of those rights. This applies despite the fact that in official domestic policy, Australia accepts that human rights are, quote, universal and indivisible, unquote. Official policy from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, DFAT, states that, quote, Australia considers all human rights to be universal, unquote, meaning that despite differing cultural and religious beliefs, rights in the treaties are the inherent, inalienable, inviolable, common entitlement of all humans. And DFAT also states that, quote, Australia also considers human rights to be interrelated, interdependent and indivisible, meaning that there is no hierarchy or priority of the rights enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, nor are there preconditions imposed on the enjoyment of some of these rights, unquote. It is noteworthy that the official Australian policy position is that there are no preconditions imposed on enjoyment of some of the rights, the implication being that the Australian government holds a view that preconditions do apply to some rights, despite their being unquestionably interrelated, interdependent and indivisible. This suggests that while the only precondition for enjoyment by any Australian of an acknowledged universal human right should be that the said Australian is a human, the Australian government would nevertheless prefer to impose preconditions at will. And in practice, that is exactly what it does. When it comes to human rights, the Australian government has retained full power to giveth and to taketh away, leaving us with little to say but, blessed be the name of the government. In Australia's current legal arrangements, it is the government, not the parliament, that retains godlike power in terms of determining the great moral authority in relation to human rights for Australians, irrespective of the acknowledged universality and indivisibility of human rights. And it retains this power by virtue of the way the Australian Constitution is structured. It retains this power because there is nothing in the Constitution that stops governments from making executive decisions to act inconsistently with their commitments and obligations under the treaties, even if the treaty has been ratified by the Parliament. That is, even if the Parliament has given its consent to be bound by the treaty. This executive government power to disregard human rights has been confirmed by the High Court. As the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade has noted, the High Court ruled in the 1995 case of the Minister for Immigration and Ethnic Affairs versus R. Hin Tio that, quote, Ratification of a treaty by the Australian executive gave rise to a legitimate expectation that decision-makers would act consistently with the provisions of the treaty and take them into account in making administrative decisions, even if those provisions had not been incorporated into domestic law. 
but it also held that such a legitimate expectation could be set aside by an executive or legislative indication to the contrary. Unquote. And on 25th of February 1997, the Howard government did indeed set aside the legitimate expectations of Australians when, as DFAT further notes, quote, the Attorney General and the Minister for Foreign Affairs issued an executive statement to the effect that the act of entering into a treaty does not give rise to legitimate expectations that could form the basis for challenging an administrative decision. Unquote. This is a breathtaking executive statement of faithlessness in commitments to and observance of the rule of law that the Australian government otherwise claims to revere. What it means is that the whole principle of responsible government, in which the executive government is supposed to be accountable to the parliament and through that to the people, has been discarded, and with the permission of the High Court, no less. This permission doubtless arises from High Court interpretations of what the Constitution allows, or else it arises from the fallibility of the Court. Either way, what it means is that the Executive Government can do the opposite of what the Parliament has ratified in international treaties, and without so much as a by-you-leave from the Parliament, the High Court, or the people by a referendum. It also means the Australian Government can be entirely two-faced. It can present one face to the world which purports to support human rights and another face at home that says they have no intention of allowing a consideration of human rights to affect executive power and particularly their ability as governments to make decisions that contravene their commitments under treaties. In other words, at home, our commitments under the treaties and human rights themselves mean nothing. We have no guarantee of any rights given that the rights in the covenants can be withheld under administrative decisions at home, and that there is no limit to which they may be withheld unless specific legislation prescribes a limit, which in some cases it does, but in other cases does not. In other words, for the most part, the government doesn't necessarily need a reason to deny a human right. It may need a reason in politics, but not necessarily in law. The corollary is that, according to government policy, Australia can enter international agreements in bad faith, that is, with no intention of observing them unless it might suit. In that vein, national sovereignty means nothing more and nothing less than an installed autocracy, fully capable of denying all rights that are otherwise conferred on humans in international law. The United Nations Charter is based on the idea that member states do not surrender their national sovereignty when they become members. As I noted in Chapter 1, nothing in the UN Charter authorises the UN to intervene in matters which are essentially within the jurisdiction of a member state. Indeed, we would expect no less from a Charter that is based on the fundamental principle of equal rights and self-determination of peoples. But this does not mean that international law should be flouted at the will of a member nation, and it does not mean that a sovereign nation can expect to flout international laws without consequence. A mindset within a government that says otherwise is a very dangerous thing. It implies that Australia has walked away from its determination in 1945 when it became a member of the United Nations to, quote, reaffirm faith in fundamental human rights and the worth of the human person 
and establish conditions under which justice and respect for the obligations arising from treaties and other sources of international law can be maintained, unquote. As the decades have passed, however, Australia appears to have licensed itself to evade international law and almost all its obligations under human rights treaties. In addition to pernicious executive statements like that of the Howard government quoted above, Australia has chosen to evade or cover up its abuses of the rights of other nations, foreign individuals and Australians themselves, sometimes by means of withdrawing from the jurisdiction of international courts, sometimes by breaching legal privileges and immunities, famously in the case of the trial of whistleblower Witness K and his lawyer Bernard Cleary, it did both, and sometimes by laws which are introduced with insufficient scrutiny as to their effect on human rights. It would appear that Australia has a constitution that enables all this because it prevents none of it. In the 2020s, it is now possible to perceive the impact of this autocratic mindset founded on arbitrary denial of human rights. The following section provides some examples.